The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. And welcome to What Goes Up, a Bloomberg Weekly Markets podcast. I'm Sarah Ponsek, a reporter on the Cross Asset team. And I'm Mike Regan, a senior editor on the markets team. This week on the show, you could say the market's gone wild. Swings of 3 to 4% in the S&P 500 have become the norm. The Fed issued its first emergency rate cut since 2008. And 10-year Treasury yields are below 1%. What does it all mean? And when will it end? I don't know, Sarah. Why are you asking me? How would I possibly know that? I thought you have the answers to everything. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, of course, we'll end the episode with the craziest thing we saw in markets this week. Sarah, you know I abstained from that competition last time? You abstained last time because you're going to have an extra, extra great one this time. That's right. Well, you know, since I abstained, you know what that means. Still undefeated. (laughs) I guess that's true. We'll give it to you. (laughs) I'll give it to you this time because I'm feeling nice. But But anyway, we've got some great guests that will hopefully tell us when we'll end. No pressure here. (laughs) But uh, joining us for the first time on the show, very happy to have him. He is the chief macro strategist at EIA All Weather Alpha Partners. Nafal Sanala, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Absolutely. And also back on the show, our old friend, he's a cross-asset reporter, He's a Reddit aficionado. Luke Kawa, welcome to the show. I, I'm not. You are. <laughs> just, just, to, just to be clear, I am not. You're more so than the rest of us. Now, now, <laughs> Luke, now that you're here, I have, to, I have to tell you something, okay? You know you know, I consider you a friend. Sarah's your friend. Even Noffel's your friend. We gathered you here to talk about that, <laughs> that white belt you've been wearing. <laughs> the white belt, Luke. This is an intervention, Luke. This is an intervention. <laughs> it's it's al- it's always in between Memorial Day and Labor Day somewhere. <laughs> is he wearing it now, Luke? Oh yeah. <laughs> For listeners who don't know Luke, I will describe. He, you actually asked, how would you describe Luke's fashion sense? I describe it as risk on. <laughs> he's sorry. He's like a levered. You know, he's like a levered. You know, a triple levered ETF of fashion. You know how Luke described it? Loud. 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 <laughs> loud. Loud and cheap was actually the, the full description. <laughs> so Reddit it is. Reddit, Reddit. It's a Reddit. It's a very, it's hip on Reddit. Look, you know, there's appropriate times to wear a white belt. You know, you know like uh, you just started karate lessons, <laughs> maybe, or it's like a special occasion at the retirement home, bingo night or something. Sarah's from Florida. She knows. She knows oh, I know. That. I know. I'm just jealous anyway. I'm Luke is the, the very Michael, progressive dresser. Michael, Michael come in on Monday with a white belt. I, 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 I'd, I'd be happy to give Mike my belt. He just wouldn't fit it. Oh, <laughs> okay. Shots fired. Okay. Jeez, Luke, all right, you win, you win. Anyway, uh, Nafa, let's start with you because cool. uh, apart from Luke's white belt, this uh, it's just been a crazy week. I was going through one of your notes uh, from from your hedge fund that you sent around the clients, and I was astounded because you've tallied up the number of tests being done in each country for the coronavirus, and then you obviously uh, divided it by population. 
Let me read the listeners some numbers here. Uh, South Korea, 2,100 approximately tests per million people. And he gives sort of a league table here. Uh, Austria, 235 per million. Goes on and on. Finland, 23 per million. Vietnam, 18. All the way at the bottom, wah, wah, wah. United States, one test per, per million people. And later in the note, you say, obviously, that the market is is very much going to be a referendum on how well uh, the government here is managing this crisis. I'm not getting much confidence from that one per million. As, has the tide turned at all, though? Do you think they're, they're starting to get out ahead of this? Obviously, Congress passed this uh, $8 billion and change uh, uh, bill to, to put some money into the healthcare system and fight this. How, how concerned is the market that this is just not going to end up well for the, the U.S.? Right. So I think, um, you know, before before this kind of shock to the markets, the markets were kind of trying to debate whether or not this was going to be primarily kind of like a China story, a China, China only story. I think as we started to see the case counts in South Korea pick up, it became clear that, no, this is not going to be kind of isolated to China. And now that we've fallen as far as we have, I do think the market now is expecting you know, a rise in case counts as we get testing to proliferate. However, we still are quite behind the curve. So like right now, for example, the latest is that, you know, we get about a million and a half testing capacity going forward over the next couple of weeks. However, because of the lab constraints, we can only do about 10K per day, which would take a while to scale up. So we would expect that like, there is an inflection in case counts that's coming, but it's pr- probably not going to be too quickly unless a private sector really steps up. And we're quite quite down the line on the league tables, as you mentioned. So we're pretty concerned that um, ultimately the markets will decide that the White House is a bit behind the curve on this threat. I remember a couple of weeks ago, there was a lot of optimism building up because there were reports coming out saying that the coronavirus was peaking. Of course, a lot of this pertained to China, but now we're seeing this international spread. And there's a lot of numbers, data flying out there regarding the coronavirus. I mean, what actually are the factors that you guys look at to try to get a sense of how this is actually progressing and to inform any investment decisions, if at all, because it seems like it's so difficult when there's so many uh numbers and so much data out there that kind of flies against the face of another one. Right. These are the type of environments that me as a macro junkie, I love, (laughs) although I don't like the social implications. But the idea is that, yes, there was a case sequential case count declines in China after a historic quarantine. Right. Um, Even if we wanted to, that wouldn't happen here. Um, and it, it did spread and there were community spread uh, events across the world. And so the, what we're looking at is we want to see folks start to migrate from the idea of we can contain this virus, which I think is a fantasy and people are coming around to, toward how do we deal with congestion and how do we do, deal with capacity constraints? If you do certain social isolation procedures that prevents super high congestions in hospitals and, you know, just regular public health and, and in fact, public spaces in general. What that does is it slows the virus so the capacity and the health healthcare infrastructure and biotechnology developments can catch up to the threat. So what we're focused on mostly is how quickly does the United States, in response to rising case counts, implement social isolation procedures that slows the virus's transmission and allows the healthcare apparatus to catch up to the threat. If you answer your phone, it's one of your fund investors, uh, and they say, you know, what are you guys doing? What's going on? You know, is it, uh, Nuffles not here right now? Please leave a message. <laughs> or, you know, what, what are you telling people? Uh, you know, what would you tell a, a client if they called and said, what do you, how are you guys do, dealing with this? Well, if it's during market hours, then, um, <laughs> 
pro- probably somebody else um, at, our, at our business will be handling it. Um, if, but you know, you get me on the phone outside of market hours. First thing I say, please wash your hands. It, 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 it really, it really does make a huge yeah. difference. Yeah. You know, we can we can debate whether masks are helpful and this and that, but like, you know, you, I'm sure you guys have seen what happens to to the bacteria and viruses when not just viruses but bacteria as well. Um, when when you wash your hands for 20 seconds, it's a it's a it's amazing. So what is the portfolio allocation right. equivalent of washing your hands? Right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> no kidding. I, li- I like that. So, you know, we, we were quite bearish around Valentine's Day as we wrote in our past note. Um, so we were pretty well positioned going into this shock. Um, now what we're kind of expecting is, um, you know, it takes some time for the market to digest the shock. We probably have a relatively wide and volatile range for the yeah. time being. And as we start to see the potential for social isolation procedures be implemented, then it becomes, like you said, a referendum about how behind or on the curve is the White House and to what extent, um, you know, how long are we going to have social isolation procedures to the extent we get them? If we get them, that's the biggest risk to like earnings growth and the potential for job losses. And then the question becomes, $8.3 billion is not going to move the needle. We're yeah. going to need, you know, we need to add another zero to that. Yeah. Uh, if you look at like 9-11, Hurricane Katrina, Hurricane Sandy, you know, 50 to $100 billion uh, packages. So, you know, th- we're, we're nowhere near that level right now. If we see the White House and Congress suddenly catch up, perhaps, you know, the low is in. Based on the fact that President Trump called it the Corona flu Wednesday night, we do expect there's some risk for potential more downside, potentially new lows. Once we get to the point where, um, you know, we're starting to see kind of a little bit of panic about the effect of potential social isolation procedures, then we start bargain hunting. And then I kind of pass the baton to my partner who runs our long short portfolio. Gotcha. Gotcha. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Now, Luke, let's bring you in here. I mean, you wear that white belt, but I, I consider you a black belt in, in looking at volatility <laughs> markets, all right? How was that segue, Sarah? Pretty, Great segue. That was impr- pretty impressive. You've really been it? working on these. I have. What, 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 what's the vol market look like to you? I mean, uh, last I looked, the VIX is kind of in that 30 range, uh, it's, it's 30, 35. Like absolutely screaming. The volatility term structure is, you know... Has, is signaling a persistent degree of alarm that you know I haven't seen in my few years in this business. If I if I was back in 2011, I probably would have seen something like this in terms of the persistence and the magnitude of how much the vol markets are saying, uh, be very very worried about now, but also be worried about later. That's kind of what uh, the read and you get when the the front vol month is so uh, the front futures contract is so high. Uh, there's, but the second is also still so high. And one thing that's been happening is people have been getting absolutely roasted trying to short volatility. People think, you know, when vol goes up, that means, you know, it's a, it's a good short. And, you know, it is true that 
when vol goes up, you have more kind of profit potential, more room to move just on vol coming in. Uh, but the the structure of the market recently has been such that spot VIX is actually much, much, much higher than the front month. And uh, that convergence is taking place more and more with the front month. So your actual investable way to short vol and, you know, in an easy way short of getting the strip uh, is actually converging to the upside. So people are getting uh, pretty much absolutely killed on this. And it's a reminder that, you know, uh, got to look at the curve structure, got to look at the term structure uh, when you're getting involved in this whatsoever. Is that notion that, you know, the market was so blatantly short volatility heading into this, is that sort of rebounding into the equity market, do you think, that may be making these sell-offs a little bit worse? I, I think somewhat. I do think there's something to the argument that the, you know, the degree of euphoria we saw in January and uh, early February has, you know, the necessary uh, reaction as an opposite and equal reaction just means that uh, it's a little worse on the other side. I, you know, I think all the people that were uh, kind of flooding into single stock calls, we've seen that reverse. The equity put call uh, actually taught actually bottomed the day the market topped at like 0.55. So many more calls trading than puts, but it hasn't really risen to kind of, you know, alarming level since we're still short of like Q4 2018 put call ratios. So, you know, that could be a sense that people are just cutting risk rather than hedging risk. Uh, but the, the vol metrics in terms of what people are looking for, uh, it's crazy. Like when you think about what does a 30 VIX mean, it means essentially we're expecting a near 2% move every day for a month and the S&P 500, but that's what we're realizing. We're realizing insanely <laughs> more, high more moves. More than that. More yeah. than yeah. that. So I, I want to get your take because with that said, so Monday we had a 4% bounce. Then on Tuesday we had this massive sell-off. Then the next day, and this was after Super Tuesday, we get another 4% bounce and we have people out there saying, oh, it's the Biden bounce because Vice President Biden did better in Super Tuesday. Yet on Thursday we get another massive sell-off. How much can you actually look to politics at this point in time and look at the potential Democratic nominees to see who's going to run and actually make a direct correlation to market moves in a market in which it seems like we are just moving nonstop one way or the other in momentum bets every single day? I don't think we ever had any leftism priced into the market. Um, you know, it made sense um, to me, at least, that on um, Tuesday when the Fed cut 50 bips, that a lot of folks, including me, would come in and say, all right, this, you know, the upside catalyst has been materialized and realized, you know, we can go ahead and dump the long risk and we can short this bounce, which is what happened. Then, you know, you get that rally on Wednesday on Biden. And I think there is, you know, market practitioners tend to be a little bit right leaning. So there is a, a bit of a, you know, personal kind of like, you know, just feeling like a little bit more relieved and the markets were quite volatile. So, you know, these type of moves are going to happen anyway. So that also, you know, kind of made sense to me, but that's why we were looking to fade that bounce, um, you know, and it, it, it's, it's starting to work. But, but speaking to your point, Luke, you know, this, you know, the f folks have this recency bias of, you know, buy the dip or like short the spikes in volatility. This is a very different shock than our typical shocks. This is not a shock that, fiscal policy and monetary policy can um, by themselves handle. This is a crisis of confidence um, that cannot be, you know, stemmed by central bank liquidity. And uh, it's kind of analogous to 9-11. Yeah. And so it really depends on the White House's response. And, um, you know, we're, we're below Vietnam in our testing testing ratios. So, yeah. And to me, the big, the big 
uh, issue is what happens in the credit markets. Uh, you know, we saw this sort of little known uh, British air airline uh, Flybe. I gotta say, I hadn't heard of Flybe. Had you heard of Flybe, Luke? No, I never. I, yeah. I'm, you know, I'm a Greyhound guy, so <laughs> <laughs> Greyhound's probably all right in this. I, I'd say, um, but you know, it, you see the credit default swaps on the the cruise ship operators, Carnival and and Royal Caribbean. At what point do you think the credit market really starts to freak out? I mean, it kind of is a little bit. Issuance was down. High yield issuance was sort of froze up for a few days there. It, does this have the potential to to become a credit crisis? Do you think? I mean, there, the potential is there. I don't think it will happen because I do think the pressure from the equity markets will eventually necessi- will eventually pressure a sufficient response, even if it's belated. Um, I, I'm not a credit guy, so I'm not going to pretend like I am. Right. But from what I understand, it's been very difficult to trade right now. It's very illiquid. There has been a bit of a divergence between equity and credit. So I wouldn't be surprised if, for example, like what one of the things we're looking for for like a real bottom um, is a durable bottom is that okay, we, we have some public health policies in place that are kind of freaking out folks about earnings trajectories and like economic commercial activity. Credit is starting to kind of, you know, spreads are starting to widen, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, the hidey holes, the places where people are kind of hiding in like, you know, tech, tech software or like utilities, staples, those are getting hit too, reflecting, you know, just risk constraints, position liquidation. That's where we're looking for a real bottom, and we don't we don't really quite see that yet. So the the fun credit divergence that's really crept up recently that I can comment on is you know I was just uh, Thursday morning I was running through the numbers and looking at you know your weekly change in the S and P five hundred versus the weekly net move in investment grade uh, credit default swaps. And you know normally you think stock market up that means you know risk on or companies are getting more credit worthy, perceived risk of default going down. Uh, the, the combination of having stocks up at least, you know, 0.8 on the week. And at this point we were up, you know, 3.5% on the S&P 500 and IGCDX at least five basis points wider. Uh, that combination is incredibly rare. It's the last time it happened was the week ending uh, 9-21-2018, which was literally the the day after the peak in the in 2018 right before the, the route so that's that's something i've been kind of keeping my eye on is credit is um credit is saying that uh you know the the bounce that we've gotten in stocks is should be treated as kind of you know the way Knopf's outlined how he's treating it not your most encouraging analogy uh but Knopf also pointed out some places that investors have been hiding watching tech and the sort luke you've been pointing out low volatility stocks because that was also an area that a lot of people went to hide last year uh and you found that low volatility stocks have not really been living up to their name uh what does that really tell you and can you walk us through what you've actually been seeing yeah so, so this has been weird and i think it's like uh I think it's a combination of a high baseline volatility environment with, you know, the most defining feature we've had in the market is the relentless uh, treasury bid that, you know, has brought yields to all-time lows, 10-year below one, et cetera, et cetera. So what we've seen is that uh, 10-day realized volatility in S&P 500 low volatility index actually exceeds that of the, you know, of the market at large. So this happens from time to time, but this doesn't happen during spikes. The only time this has happened, you know, in the past five years uh, during a time when, you know, realized vol is anything you could consider elevated was in September 2016. I believe at that time we were kind of worried about uh, lack of central bank monitoring 
monetary ammunition. And at that time, you know, some Trump worries seeping into the market. There was a time when investors actually thought Trump would be the worst thing ever for the market before they decided the exact opposite, uh, you know, in the course of a night. So what we found there is essentially that the outsized movements in high vol, it seems to be a function of, and especially this was key last week when we had you know, a correlation one sell-off, basically everything getting hit, the same amount looks it kind of looks like your mass equity index futures selling. So what happens in bad days? Everything goes down, everything goes down together in a big way. But then on the up days, what what are people gravitating back to? Something with an above average dividend yield and something uh, in which the companies, their cash flow, utilities, and uh, I believe... REITs probably, yeah. Uh, REITs, REITs, one of them, but uh, utilities Staples. and consumer staples, yeah, staples, make up 40% yeah. of S&P 500 low vol. Yeah. That's over three times the S&P 500. Those cash streams, even in that's an environment also, of social distancing, you're, you're still pretty reliant on Especially those. when Lysol and Clorox and, exactly, uh, yeah. and exactly. toilet paper is, is in there. Yes, so it just it just strikes me as something worth monitoring because if you, I'll, I'll get out my craziest thing I've seen this this week. Oh, nice segue. have to have S&P right 500 low vol beating the market on a day when the S&P 500 is up uh, at least 4%. That's happened now four times going back to early 1972. It happened March 16th, 2000. Not a great time if you remember. October 20th, 2008. Also not a great time if you remember. And twice this week on Monday and Wednesday. All right. Nice. I appreciate the segue because I did not have a segue planned for once. Though we do have some voicemail. We The, the What Goes Up hotline has been overflowing with voicemails uh, with crazy things and other observations. Apologies that we can't play them all, but we have a couple to play. So uh, let's, let's hear them. Hey, this is a message for What Goes Up. Long-time listener, first-time caller. This is your friend and colleague, Cameron Kreiss. <laughs> and the craziest thing I saw in markets this week was a horrible white Naga hide tie worn by Lukawa. Uh, just because it seems as if markets are on trajectory to go back to 1970s levels, Luke, doesn't mean you have to dress like it. Thanks, guys. Well, you're really you, you did set yourself up for this. Thank, <laughs> thank you, Cameron, for that completely unsolicited. Completely unsolicited. Yeah, it's not like I said I, I refused to edit your column if you don't call and, <laughs> and bust on Luke. I told him to go for the, the the belt though, but I, I don't know what tie he's talking about. Do you know? I, I have no idea either. All, all of my ties are wonderful. <laughs> he must have meant to say belt, and he just went on and went and said tie. But I'm just jealous, Luke. As I told Luke, Sarah, right? I had six older brothers. I was the youngest, and the bullying all went downhill. So I. I kind of look at you as that little brother I never had to the outlet for the bullying. I hope that's okay. I was wondering where this was going. I, I, I was expecting it to end up in some complimentary yeah, fashion. Right. But, yeah. Uh, no. yeah. Yeah. And also you owe me money. It's just how it works. Yeah. Sarah, do you have a crazy thing you saw in the market? I, I do have a crazy thing. And it'll go back to the idea of uh, demand for consumer staples. So I was looking around just for some different price dislocations that are caused by uh, the coronavirus and people maybe going a little bit crazy and emergency shopping. And I went on Amazon and was looking at Purell bottles because you can't really find Purell any, anywhere anymore. And uh, I found a two pack of one liter Purell bottles for three hundred and fifty dollars. That's it's crazy. I mean, truly the crazy. OK, I think you won. You might have just scored your first W on that. Did I, did I yeah, just yeah. win? And you, you haven't even gone w. yet. And I also have one to the other side, too. Let's hear it. Uh, there was a pretty good story on the terminal that was laying out how 
flights have all of a sudden become pretty cheap because a lot of people don't want to be flying anymore. So you can get a round trip flight from New York to Miami now for $51. So I think you I'm going to have pick. to go. Yeah. Oh, really? That was literally my pick. Oh. <laughs> we can tie. I have, I have a backup. I have a backup. The, the, okay, good. The problem with that $51 flight is then you got to buy a $200 bottle of Purell to sanitize exactly. everything. In it. $350, $350. So the hedge. Yeah. Yeah. All right, all right. No, I'll, I'll award joint joint winners for this one if you both had that one. But no, yeah, no I'm glad you have a backup. Let's I do it. have a backup. Um, you know, I've been just staring at the screens all day, so unfortunately, I haven't been able to check Priceline too frequently. So I guess you beat me on that one. But um, <laughs> I think it's pretty wild, um, and this is more earnest than than funny. That we're priced now for twenty five bips for the end of the year for yeah. the Fed funds. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. What that means to me is that. It's very difficult now for bonds to short circuit any more stock weakness and combine that with the quote unquote Corona flu that President Trump had referred <laughs> to. Um, pretty, pretty crazy that we're at this point right now. Um, you know, people still, I think, you know, they're defending that 3000 level mm-hmm. and, you know, we're kind of, we're kind of out of firepower. I, I would say one thing along these lines though, I think, I think Chair Powell made the right move to move swiftly and forcefully because he just got the Fed out of the way. Yeah, yeah. And now the pressure's on the White House and Congress instead of the next two weeks being this long political debate about is the Fed doing enough? Yep. Yeah. And um, so I think he made the right move. But because of that, we're at a point now where you know the, mar- the markets, unless they're going to price in negative rates, it's up to, it's up to the White House now. Yeah. What I, I'm curious. So the market's pricing 25 bips. In a realistic sense, where say the ten year could go this year, I mean, what what would you guys say? I mean, I mean the, you know, yeah. I guess you, you can't zero, make a prediction. Zero, yeah. zero not here right now. Please leave a message. <laughs> well, my, wash my, your hands. My crazy thing is is similar in that in the Treasury futures market, you can now buy call options uh, on an uh, off the run bond. I think it's like a mature twenty twenty seven ten year bond. That imply negative yields, right. so you can now buy a call uh, for for negative yields. Oh yeah, and you're seeing you're seeing volume in those in those contracts, yeah, especially yeah. the euro dollar ones. Yeah. A lot of flows there. But yeah. but to just just to kind of offset, uh, uh, Mr. Mr. Cameron Crisis uh, <laughs> anti Luke uh, <laughs> uh, commentary, um, because Luke is Canadian, I would like to say that uh, ca- Canadian bonds have some yields still. So. That's, yeah, that's that's so we've been we, you know we we were riding long rates both in the in the in the in euro dollar belly contract mid curve contracts as well as a long end for a while. Um, that's less interesting to us now because again we're priced to like basically go to zero by the end of the year. Um, so we're much more focused on the downside and equities now. But there's still some um, some room for the Bank of Canada to catch. <laughs> Well, I don't know if it's catch up or down to the Fed in, the, in this case. But Say down? In it's terms down. of rates, it's down. But, Luke's uh, going to be taking that Greyhound up to Toronto to get some uh, clips and coupons, <laughs> I think. Right? I, I do also have to say that I believe Luke wasn't the only one who took some heat this week on the Bloomberg Podcast Hotline. Uh-oh. I'm pretty sure uh, Mike right? took some heat as well. Hi, this is Paul Meyer from Northern California, and I'm talking about um, what goes up. And I'm disappointed that recently we haven't gotten any uh, obscure classic rock references, not since, I think, James Gang, Funk 49. So, come on, Mike, give us something. 
Man, that, that come on, one, Mike, give us something. That, that one hurts. Man. That, that I feel that one because, uh, as we all know, classic, obscure classic rock, rock references are an integral part of financial journalism. I feel like I've been, I've been <laughs> letting the the readers and listeners down. And, and you might ask yourself, how did I get here? <laughs> I get, not bad, not bad. Where's this, my beautiful two percent treasury this, yield? This kid's got a future. <laughs> all right, I'll give you one classic rock reference. You know, everyone's talking about what song they uh, they sing when they wash their hands. People saying to make sure it gets Happy twenty birthday. seconds. I'm singing the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. <laughs> That's how long I'm washing for. I'm not taking any chances. All right. So there you go. No chances taken. And as a reminder, you can give us a call at our Bloomberg Podcast hotline. Leave us a message, and we might play it on the show. And that number is six four six three two four. Three four nine zero, and with that said, Nawful Luke, thanks so much for joining the show this week. Many thanks. Thank you. What goes up? We'll be back next week. Until then, you can find us on the Bloomberg Terminal website and app, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love it if you took the time to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, so more listeners can find us. And you can find us on Twitter. Follow me at, at Sarah Ponsek. Mike is at Reganonymous. Lou Kawa is at LJ Kawa. And Nafal Sanawa is at Nafal Sanawa. You can also follow Bloomberg Podcasts at Podcasts. What Goes Up is produced by Topher Forges. The head of Bloomberg Podcast is Francesca Levy. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.